Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, but anyway, we're excited about the fall and a lot of wonderful things that are coming up here in the fall. And that means, you know, with a change of season, it also means a change kind of, kind of renewed, to rethink what it is that God is doing in your life and what he's preparing for you. So we always do the, the we do a, a next semester of our small groups, and we call this the Blitz Weekend. So we put on a Blitz of showcasing, so to speak, our small groups, and we want you to get involved. And so I want to talk to you about that today and next Sunday and uh, about how you can get involved, how you can jump in. Um, but I also want to say this, that uh, starting after this, I am so excited about a, a new series that I'm starting here on the 16th of September. It's called uh, A Hope and a Future. And uh, this is going to be, I believe, personally impacting to you in a very major way. So you're not going to want to miss that. So mark your calendar, September 16th. We'll start up there because God's got some new things for us here at Valley and very excited. Today's message is called, And the Believers Gathered. The year was 33 AD. The city of Jerusalem was tense with an atmosphere of hopelessness and fear. This was nothing new for the people of the book because of generations of foreign domination they endured. However, something quite astonishing had just happened among them. Their Messiah, Jesus. He lived, he ministered, he died, he rose again and ascended to heaven in their midst in a flurry of wondrous supernatural activity over three short but incredibly impacting years. Now what? 120 remaining loyal followers of Jesus huddled together in an upper room waiting for the promised power from on high. No one really knew what that meant except that they would trust the one that made the promise. The day of Pentecost came, and all of those disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and a new boldness came upon them all. How did they know? Their fearful, lonely, despairing, but faithful hearts were now suddenly filled with joy, with peace, and hope overflowing. On top of it all, their struggling leader, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached with a boldness that surprised them all, and over 3,000 Jews came to Christ as Savior in one day. Can you imagine that? One day. And in one full swoop, the church was born. Just like that. Now what? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, that the church still experienced disfavor among the political and religious powers, but that didn't bother them. The kingdom of God was growing even among the threats of violence and imprisonment. What did they do? They met from house to house, and they met in the temple, the Jewish temple. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, they've continued to increase. Even in the midst of that pressure, that political domination, the threats. It's amazing that our times across the world are somewhat similar to those early violent times. In many countries, Christians are forced to meet in secret or under constant observation in order to enjoy fellowship. And even in our own nation, the Antichrist spirit is rousing its ugly head once again. Should our hearts shrink back? Should we exchange the truth of our Savior for lies of a global peace without Christianity? 
Do we believe the lie that all the ills of our society are because of ignorance, because of religious intolerance? Or do we remember the powerful biblical teaching of Jesus that all men have fallen short of the glory of God and that mankind's root problem is a sinful rebellion against their creator? The early church quoted Psalm chapter 2. They knew this. Because as they began to get more and more threats, because obviously the church was growing internally in their midst, there was nothing overtly taking place. God was doing it among them, within them, within the city, from the inside out. The religious leaders were feeling threatened. The power was on the line. So in response to that pressure, the believers gathered together in prayer. And they quoted Psalm 2, 25 and 26. It says this. Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. And the kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers against, uh, uh, together gather against the Lord and against his anointed one. Rhetorical question, but one of demand. One to say, look, it's futile to fight against God. It's futile to come against the one who owns all of this. It's his kids. It's his earth. He's the creator God. And even these religious powers, even the domination of Rome, of course, took several hundred years <clears throat> for it to finally fall and for Christianity to crumble that mighty dominion from the inside out, but it did it. And it will continue to do that. See, folks, we need to go back to the beginning. So what do we do now? I think the church has made a major mistake by culturalizing religion and thus losing most of its power to change the world. The church has always been about people, and any resources that are used should be used to support that end. Folks, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to extract the values and the vehicles that the early church used that made it the most powerful movement ever known. I've been here 14 years, and I've been dedicated to that end. What did they do? What did they do? Well, Jesus started it all. And what did he do? He met from, with a group of 12 men. And isn't that interesting? That's not what I would do if I was God. It's not what I would do if I was the son of God and had all this power and this influence. You know, probably we would do it what they expected, and that is to gather an army and march on Rome and say, it's done. We're beginning the kingdom of God here, and you can't stand up against me. I'm the son of God. That's what we would do. But that's not what Jesus did. It's amazing what he did. So simplistic. So infantile. He grabbed 12 men. And he met with those 12 men every day. He walked with them. He lived with them. He discipled them. He mentored them. He loved them. He taught them. And he, even, he, he didn't even pick the, 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 the sharpest knives in the drawer. He didn't even pick the guys that any one of us would, I, we would pick. He went out and got a bunch of ignorant fishermen. He went out and got a bunch of guys that were just doing their lives of just were basic run-of-the-mill men. When, when, as a matter of fact, it was, you could see that God's very purpose was to do that, to find a man who was just stable, just faithful, just living their life. And God brought him in. Jesus brought him in, and he loved him. He discipled them to the point, to the impact 
that they went on to change, these 12 men went on to change the world in amazing ways, as you will see. The early church met again. So Jesus started it all by meeting with these 12 men, the first small group, the first small gathering. And from those men, the, st the strategy was late. They called it the Jesus method. We poured everything in him. And he said, now you go and pour into 12 other men or as many as God will lead into your life. And then those 12 would go on and those 12 would go on. Paul reinforced that as he spoke to Timothy. He said, Timothy, find you faithful men. Find you men that will listen and that will be teachable and then teach them to be teachers of other men and women. And with that method, the world was changed. In less than 40 years, well, let's see here, 40 38, whatever the difference is between 38 and 70 AD. Sorry, I can't do math on the fly. But by 70 AD, Jerusalem was gone, done, leveled, the holy city gone. What were they going to do now? The beauty is Jesus showed him exactly what they're supposed to do now. And that was stop building buildings, stop creating temples, even though buildings are important, we'll talk about that later. But he leveled that so that the church could be driven out and forced to do what they were called to do in Matthew chapter 28, which they failed to do, but God just said, okay, now I'm going to give you a loving push. And off they went to every civilized nation in the world to spread the gospel and to do what they were showed to, what to do. And that was to meet from house to house the early churches we read there in the book of Acts met in small groups and remembered and recounted the teachings of Jesus. The early church also met in the temple, and it says that they did so daily. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it gives us exactly what they did next. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it says, a sense of awe came over everyone. And the apostles performed many wonders and signs. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They shared with everyone who was in need. And with one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts and to break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What you find here, is that the church followed in the pattern. They met to house to house. They realized that it was important for them to meet and do life together. And we'll see a little bit more of how this took place. But they, they realized that what Jesus showed them and how to do this thing was what they needed to do. And so that's exactly what they did. Of course, they met in the temple as often as they could. And, there, and there's benefit to that. There's power in that. Matter of fact, Dr. Ralph Neighbor, pretty much the, the authority on small groups, wrote a book back in the 70s called Where Do We Go From Here? And it's interesting that the title is that. And, matter of fact, every major small group teacher in the United States and across the world has drawn from Dr. Neighbor. But what he talked about was the law of the two-winged bird. And he said that what was so important about the church is that we not abandon it, that, that we, like a bird with only one wing, have just gone around and around and around in circle and not gaining any height, not being able to accomplish what we've been called to do because we've got a broken wing. And that is the church, after a time, adopted just the temple ministry. 
And that what we have thought is that, look, let's, uh, let's create cathedrals. Let's create a building. Let's, let's create a place that, that only, and that's the only place where God can move. And when we put it in, in try to force it into a building, then we've missed a whole aspect of what the church was ever to be about. The truth is the church is not a building. The church is people. And that's exactly what Jesus always intended from the very beginning. And it's been man who has gone and tried to create this temple that forces that God into that, and then that's the only place where you can be ministered to. That's the only place where God will meet you. It's the only place where you can find refuge, sanctuary. It's all not biblical, not a bit of it. Not a bit. And yet, it's not to say that man's heart from the beginning wasn't right to want to do that. When you study architecture and you study church history, as I have a little bit, you begin to discover that man's heart from the beginning was not bad. It's just that when the presence of God begins to diminish and we begin to see that the Holy Spirit has moved on from one place to the next, if we stay where we are, well, then we try to conjure. We try to create something out of the remnant. In many ways, we call these denominations, by the way. And the church is ready to push forward with those who are willing and desirous to be the church. Today, churches around the world have rediscovered the power of the house-to-house ministry, that we've, we've, we've fixed the broken wing so that now we can meet in a temple, quote-unquote, like we're doing here today. Nobody's saying that what this, doing this is not a bad thing. It's just that we should not spend an exorbitant amount of our resources to do so. But we should have a sheep shed, of, and you'll find that that's exactly what the, uh, the early church did. Because once the temple was destroyed, what are they going to do now? Temple's gone. They continued to meet wherever they could find it. They got Shlomo's, Shlomo's market. He said, hey, I'll open it up in the evenings. Come on out. We'll meet here. They did whatever was necessary. Because the church is not a building, the church is people. The vision of the church is the kingdom of God, moving forth through people, from neighborhood to neighborhood, to, from society to society, from uh, uh, ideological group to the next. That is where the church is most effective. Again, churches around the world have rediscovered this. At Valley, we've been working hard. We've been training leaders. We're creating opportunities. We're encouraging families to join the gathering of the body of Christ from house to house. And so why is it so important? Why is it? Because that allows the church to be what the church is always called to be. And this is the one thing I've discovered, and perhaps you've discovered it too, that when you find something that is by design, it works best. When you try to use a tool, and we've all done this, guys, right? Ladies, you have too. You try to use a tool that it's not intended to be used for, you end up hurting yourself, right? Ow! Then you say something you shouldn't say. That's how that all works. And in the same way, when the church is being used as a tool that God intended in, in a way that God never intended it to be used, in some ways it actually hurts people. And that's true, too. You've been reading the news lately. 
When the church becomes an organization and not the organism that it ever intended it to be, then what it does is it actually begins to create things that are more of man. And man, I tell you what, I don't need man's solutions. I need God's solutions, don't you? Because those are the ones that work. So why? Why is it so important? Number one, studies support the Jesus method, so to speak, of discipleship is the most important way. And, and matter of fact, we embrace this in all different areas of society and education, that in a small group environment is where we learn best, it's where we grow best. Jesus showed us how to do it. He sat down with the 12, and 12, as they have found, is actually the perfect number. Isn't that amazing? That any more than 15, actually that group begins to break down. Any more than 15, what you find is that you can't really connect. In 15 or less, people can begin to interact and you have cross connections where everybody can pretty much know everybody. And there is a contribution and a flow and a synchronicity and a, a, synchro, you know, a, a syncretism that takes place among that group that then that we grow together. You, you influence each other's lives. You, you're sharing and impacting others' lives in a, in a major way, much more than you could than just one-on-one. -on -one. But as it begins to get bigger than that, the chains of communication begin to break down. They begin to separate, and all of a sudden, it has to do something. It has to divide. And that's what healthy cells do, don't they? Cell gets big, and then finally in the human body, it becomes two cells, and two cells become four cells. That's exactly how the early church grew, by the way. House to house, family to family, city to city, community to community, country to country, and the world. We learn best while interacting with other believers. Jesus was able to address the needs of each individual as they arose. And the disciples interacted with one another, learning and reinforcing among themselves the truth they were learning. And that, always, that, that wasn't always clean. You ever notice that? You're reading the, reading the Gospels? Where the guys are not always getting along. But see, often it's through conflict that we grow. Often we have to be, and this is the interesting thing, is it kind of, this will lovingly push you forward here a little bit. There are areas of all of our lives that are undiscovered, unchallenged, unpressed. Because we don't have enough people speaking into our lives. The more we're able to breast our cards, if you will, the more we're able to kind of show what's really going on in the inside, within reason, of course, then people are able to help us. They're able to see. And, 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 and that's living in the light as he is in the light. Isn't that right? And that's really, well, I mean, we have ministries where they break up into small groups. We, we have support groups where they know that's true, that you feel more comfortable in sharing struggles in your life with a smaller group of people, people that you trust people that you know will pray for you, people that will stand with you, people who have gone through the same thing and, and help you work through that. Small groups are absolute necessity, which, of course, speaks of a family as well, doesn't it? It's God's idea. It's where it happens. And when we begin to just focus on church being just the temple, when we just focus on church just being all of us facing in one direction, worshiping, 
letting the professional ministries, uh, ministers and ministries do all the work. And when we worship God and do our time, we just kind of punch the card, we're missing a complete aspect of what church is. And God is saying, look, there is so much in you that, that is to, to be released. There's so much that, that you can offer, not only in service as we described here, but just in the spiritual gifts that are inside you, that are, that are latent inside you. Some that have probably haven't even yet been discovered. Some of you know and, and have jumped into small groups, and you know exactly. And, and I know we could get tremendous amounts of, of, of testimonies. But I know in my own life, I, as I can share, and I'm sure many of you could, but for my own life, that it's been through a, a small group of men and families for Andrew and I together that we really feel like that a full, a full picture of life begins to develop. See, and I'll just say this real quickly, that a lot of times, left to ourselves, we do become a little strange. I'm sorry, we just do. Because we start to see life from our own perspective. And we've only got one. And I, you know, I know you're intelligent, and I know you probably got an IQ off the chart, and that's fine, and that's good, and God bless you for it. But I'm telling you, you're still only viewing life from one perspective. Or maybe two, if it's a husband and wife. But what happens is we can become very compartmentalized and we don't, there's those areas that we really need, you know, to get input. And even if we don't need our ideas challenged, we're going to need somebody to pray with us. I'm going through a battle right now. You're going through a battle right now. You're going through a season of struggle. To go through it alone is senseless. Not when you've got so many people around you that love you, who would love to stand with you, who understand what you're going through, who have a spiritual gift of faith to speak into your life. Boom, to help you. I mean, I don't, don't tell you how many times that I've sat down with a brother, shared my battle, and then that gift of faith just stepped right into there, and boom, you just feel like you've been, you know what I'm talking about? You feel like, you, I, I got a breath of fresh air, I've got hope for this situation, I've, I've got a different, what? Perspective that I needed. That's kingdom right there. And Jesus did this among the disciples to show them. They all had different personalities. Some were introverts, some were extroverts. Some were very loving and wise like John, and some were very bold and high D and a little rascals like Peter. Poor Peter kept on getting rebuked over and over again. No, wrong, stop it. But he ended up being the leader. Interesting, isn't it? Another reason is evangelism is more organic when it takes place within the oikos or the household of relationships. Now, oikos is a Greek word, and it's a unique Greek word, and that it's, it's much more than its literal translation. The literal translation, translation of oikos is household. Makes sense? House or household. But it's much bigger than that. As, as always, the English can't completely capture what was intended by the early church writers. But oikos, what it really meant was a, a, a system of relationships. It was more than just four walls, your family, your oikos. Uh-uh. It was people that you did life with. So people you go to school with, people you work with, people that check you out in the grocery line, people that deliver the mail to your home. The people that you connect with are all a part of your oikos. And what we find is that it is within the oikos that the, you have the most jurisdiction and authority and opportunity to share the gospel. 
it says, you and your household will be saved. Oikos. Isn't that cool? What we find is that evangelism, even though public evangelism and radio and television and all that and crusades, all of that's good, that's wonderful, that's one aspect of evangelism, but what we find is to be the daily, those who are being added to the church daily, those who are being saved, what, what we find is that the church was just being what? The church. It was just living, just loving, just being who they were. And God, drew, the, 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 the potential believers are looking on going, that's amazing. These people are happy. These people are getting their needs met. These people are experiencing supernatural things going on in their lives. What is this? And so they come. And where do they go? Initially, is in the home. And a lot of times, it's because they already know them. They're already connected to them. You know, it's amazing. I went home for vacation, and we're filming this so, um, and recording this, so I won't share too many details because it involves my family. But I went home, and I want to get a chance once a year. And so we were there out uh, by, by the lake, and I was sitting with a couple of my brothers and, and some other family members, and they were just asking me questions, and we were just interacting, and, and, and it just it got spiritual really quick. And they asked me some questions about heaven. And I said, <laughs> great topic, one of my favorites. And I began to share with them about heaven. And before it was over, we were all we were in tears. Because we realized that heaven came down. And we began, I began to help my brothers see, look, guys, we complicate this thing. We overcomplicate this thing. And I know in their minds and in their hearts and in so many people's hearts, it's because of the religion. It's because of the churchianity. It's because of all the other mess that we have complicated the gospel and complicated what church life is supposed to be, that it's made it so unattractive. It's made it so that our society completely misunderstands what Christianity is, and which is why they hate us so much. If we want them to see Jesus, then we need to really start acting like Jesus. We can get there. We can get there. But evangelism, if we really want to change society, one of the things that we find, biblically speaking, folks, is that Christianity did not, uh, was not confrontive. It wasn't a, a force that came to bear. It wasn't like, okay, we are now going to uh, march on the temple. We're going to take over. We're going to arm a bunch of Christians around the peripheral of the temple and to say, we're taking over now. Uh-uh, didn't do that. They just lived it. They just loved one another. It says they gathered together, they listened to the apostles' teaching. So what was that? And we're doing the same thing. They listened to the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together, so they ate together. Yeah, I mean, you do church, you gotta, gotta be eaten, right? I mean, started in the book. They prayed. They prayed over what was going on in society. They prayed for each other. They, they prayed and asked God to come down. On one occasion, Acts chapter 4, the house where they were praying actually shook. That's pretty awesome. And so... That's what the church is supposed to really do. And so it's supposed to, and it was always meant by God to be an, organiz, an organism. It was supposed to be a viral movement that goes in and literally just takes apart that which is opposed to God from the inside out. Well, that's cool. Because the church is people. And when people start walking in, 
It's what, and, and, and folks, we need to understand that. Two things that will change our nation. You ready? More Christians, more babies. <laughs> See a lot of wives looking over their husbands. You heard him. More Christians, more babies. Church is always growing through biological growth. By the way, the greatest enemy of the church that exists today is way ahead of us. Having a lot more babies. About six to one more babies. Better keep that in mind. More Christians, more babies. We're not talking about babies today here. All right. I've done my part and I'm out, okay? All right. The temple or the, con thirdly, the temple or the congregational gathering as we see it today is important as well. There is no doubt. And we're going to be talking about that in the future. But it's through the small group that the real discipleship can take place. Again, that means growth. Folks, we need spiritual growth. I hope that's why you're here today is that you want to be growing in your faith. You want to be growing in your understanding of the Bible, which is why we did the whole ser the, the series all this summer to answer your questions. Okay, we wanted to help you with that. But we're even more serious than that. I am so excited about 2019. God has already given me a ton of stuff that we're going to be doing in 2019. Very excited about it. And, uh, and then, of course, this new series starting on the 16th. But what, what, what we hope is your desire is that you want to grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you want to grow to become more of a disciple. And if that is the case, then I am here as your loving spiritual coach to tell you, get off the bench and hit something. Get off the bench and get into the game. Discover what it is that God made you to be. Get involved in a small group. Jump in. I know, you're, if you're an introvert, you're saying, oh man, I don't know. Look, just join a group of a bunch of introverts. That's how you fix that. I'm kidding, but, you know, it can work. It's like a bunch of artists getting together, you know. Did I tell you that? I think I told you that. I, went, I did a conference once, and I was talking about introverts and extroverts, and I said, man, let's hear it for the introverts, and it was like, uh, <laughs> who could have figured that one, right? Anyway. But folks, the temple, the gathering, what we're doing here on Sunday is absolutely important. It absolutely is important because what do you do? You look around and you say, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone. And it also gives you a wonderful pool to say, hey, I don't know that person. Or maybe, whoa, I didn't know he was a Christian. Well, don't say that too loud. But anyway, you know, <laughs> I didn't know that they were coming to this church. I didn't know. And, and, and it's neat because that kind of stuff can begin to, to begin growing. You can begin developing relationships. You can begin expanding your Christian sphere. So when the service is over, man, don't head for those double doors and just pile out of here. Now, look. When it come, I'll say this because that, that seems kind of controlling, but I, I, it's not to be that way at all, all right? Nobody's standing at the door and just saying, hey, did you sign up for a small group? Everybody signs up and nobody gets hurt. I mean, you know, we can't do that. But we can lovingly say, look, please, do I, do I know who's a part of small groups as a senior pastor? I do. I get a list. So I know, you know, I'm checking it twice. And that tells me who's naughty or not. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it does tell me how to pray and how to pray for you. But again, you're not going to get a call from me. Hey, where are you? I'm just going to keep lovingly telling you, you're missing. You're missing out on something. You know, green eggs and ham. Try them, try them, and you'll see. Come on. 
it's good for you. We're going to keep doing that. But folks, I'm not saying that what we do on Sunday is bad. Not at all. This is awesome to worship and identify. But again, it's just somewhat of a pool of gathering for God to do some other things. And then fourthly, the church has always been more impacting as a viral movement among the people, thus changing the community from the inside out. Now, I've already said that, but I just want to take a moment to camp on it a little bit more. And to just say that, folks, look, when we do get... See, let me back up. Jesus said to Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit was like what? The wind. And the Holy Spirit blows and moves. And Jesus was correcting Nicodemus because Nicodemus, of course, being a teacher of the law, but fearing God. There was an aspect of what Nicodemus believed and knew. He was a temple guy, pure and simple. And Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and saying, look, there's a whole aspect of the kingdom of God you just don't understand, Nicodemus. Certainly, because he said, well, I mean, the, the cool thing was that Nicodemus had already gotten past the hardest part, and that was recognizing Jesus was the Messiah and had the words of life. Because he said that, man. That's why he came at night. That's why he came and said, look, uh, I'm pretty sure you're the guy, but I'm not sure about what you're doing. And that's when Jesus says, look, let me just give you a heads up. This thing is spiritual. Big time spiritual. It's not going to be about that building anymore. It's not going to be the way you see it and all the vestments that you're wearing. It's not going to involve synagogues and Torahs and scrolls and things like that. It's going to involve the people of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue who know that they're loved, that know they're going to heaven, and knowing that this life is nothing but a breath, and so that they can live it with incredible intensity in the here and now. And that I've got a purpose for being here. And that in my tongue and in my mouth is the gospel of life. And wherever I go, I not only can speak the words of truth, but I can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I can be the presence of God. I can be, because the Holy Spirit's indwelling me. Nicodemus didn't know anything about that. Church discovered it. Now they're walking around dynamos for the kingdom of God, which is what each and every one of you are. It's discovering that. It's walking in that is what is the burden of my life for you. And it's a viral movement. We see that. As I, as I shared with you, you know, I've done a, a fair bit of study. Church, I can't put this down. I get in trouble because I hit a button. Let's do it here. Perhaps you've seen it at the end of the service. No, I'm kidding. When I'm talking about this viral movement, what I'm saying is, folks, in studying church history, you'll find whenever the church is the organism that it's called to be, it's massive. It changes the world. Whenever the church stops following the wind, as Jesus told Nicodemus, the church then sets up shop and says, oh, that's how God does it. Let's make it into a denomination. Let's build a building, let's build a plaque, let's do a statue commemorating what God has done. And so we sit, we stop, and we stop moving the way Jesus always intended us to move. And that is, it's time to move. It's time to 
fluctuate. It's time to go with what's going on in the culture. It's time to adjust. It's time to do some lights. It's time to do some smoke. It's time to change the building. It's time to go to the park. It's time to go to the college. It's time to go to the nation. It's time to do whatever needs to be done, to be all things to all men that we might win some. Because it's always about people. It's about people. People. It's what it is. Historically, whenever the church has stopped and done that, the church begins to implode. The church stops growing. It actually becomes painfully destructive to God's people. And as I said, perhaps you've read that in the news. But whenever the church becomes the viral movement and, and, the, and the gospel is clear, and, it, and it's no longer about buildings, and it's no longer about personalities, it's no longer about vestments or liturgies, it's no more about any of that, but about the pure, loving gospel of Jesus Christ, John 3, 16 and 17, and that being affected in, uh, affecting my life, my marriage, my children, and how I live my life, and what I do with my money, when it gets to that point, that's when the world changes. That's when the world changes. That's when we will see these ravenous, anti-Christian, hate organizations and spirit, spirits that we see rising up among us will begin to crumble from the inside out. Because there are many more Pauls out there, many more who will be visited by the presence of God. And that right soon. If and only if. We remember what God has called us to do. So where am I going with this? Folks, it's time to be the church. And how do we be the church? It's more than just the temple. It's more than just coming and doing what we're doing here today. You need to jump in and get a part of the Jesus plan. You need to find you a small group of people that you can pray together, walk together, discover what your gifts are together and be the church. Grow, mature in your faith, learn to pray, learn get past your hangups and, and holdups. We'll help you with those too. Because when you start moving forward, you begin to see you got a gimp, you got a struggle, you got something in your life that's holding you back. That's okay. God can help you with that too. That's what it's all about. Fixing your marriage, fixing your soul, fixing your body. That's the kingdom of God. I want to pray for you this morning, so let's stand up. Small groups changed my life. They absolutely did. And they continue to do that. I really want to encourage you to do the same. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up. We're going to have a menu prepared for you, and we're going to pre you know, you'll have a copy. You can look it through places where you can jump in. We're going to have prayer groups. We'll have all kinds of groups. We'll have groups focusing on marriage. We've got a marriage uh, conference coming up very soon. We're going to help you with many different things, and we're going to really help you tie this thing together. We're gonna, in other words, we're going to give you the resources to help you take the next step. We're going to set the table. You got to come and eat. Amen? Let's bow our heads. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 830, 10, or 1130 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.